Warning, we're going to be discussing events for currently running weekly anime. If you want to avoid spoilers for certain shows, there are timestamps in the description. Welcome back to the Time Seek Anime Podcast, where we have unanimously decided that Yotsuba is the best girl. Unanimously? No. Yeah. We that, had a meeting about this, don't you yeah. remember? <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah, no, we, yeah, we, de- yeah, we definitely did. <laughs> no, we... Yeah. No, yeah, we, we did. Cut the tape! Start over! <laughs> Welcome back to the Time Seeking Podcast. I am Rex. And I'm Jay. How's it going, everybody? And we are talking about week nine of winter 2019. It was a very uh, intense week. Yeah, very intense week for for some shows. Uh, yeah. Also some... disappointing for for some other ones. Yeah, I mean that's usually the name of the that's usually the name of the game though for seasonal shows. It was like it's like more than one episode that I was, I was disappointed in this week though. Yeah. I mean, it's not like uh, a few seasons ago with Holmes of Kyoto, where every episode oh, yeah. <laughs> was a fucking disappointment. Uh, so, for news this week, we got uh, Funimation's doing a new thing for their subscriptions, where it's going to be like they have like three tiers of uh, of subscriptions or whatever, and it's like premium, premium plus, and super premium plus, or I don't, I don't remember the exact yeah, names. Okay, of it. it's like it's like six bucks. Uh, eight bucks and ten bucks or something where the the first one is just like stream anime no ads uh, all the normal stuff and then it's like uh then you can the next tier up is you can download stuff and watch it offline and i think the third one is like discounts in the store hmm. or and then you get like oh yeah you also get like two free video rentals a year or something huh. like that video rentals uh, it's like uh they're doing a new rental thing as well i'm not entirely sure hmm uh, it's probably marching orders from Sony, I imagine. Yeah, probably. Like, um, now, or the new president. Yeah, that, either way, yeah, one of those two things. I think that uh, I'm not necessarily against having the um, uh, subscription tiers. Like, it, I guess, like, in theory, I'm not necessarily... I just usually go for the subscription of what do I want most, pretty yeah. much. Like, what is going to be the most beneficial? So if I was, if I was going to subscribe, I'd probably go with the... Uh, I would probably go with the $8 one, the Premium Plus, so that I could actually download stuff when I don't have access to Wi-Fi or whatever. Yeah, and Verve is really nice for that. Yeah, no, Verve is great. And I like mean, traveling, because we travel a lot for work, so it's nice to just be able like, to watch shows while we travel. Yeah, exactly. And that's just, uh, and so that's a pretty good incentive. I, uh, it's weird, though, the whole rental thing. What is that about? Uh, I don't know, I think you, like, rent movies or series i think mm-hmm. you like rent a series and you can like watch it all or something like that i don't entirely know what, what it's all about mm-hmm. that is uh, really but, but eventually i mean we're gonna have to at least subscribe to funimation for a season for a while uh or i don't i don't know when it's gonna happen but fire force oh yeah i've heard about fire force fire force looks really sick brief synopsis for anybody who hasn't heard of it it's like people spontaneously explode into fire and then they have other people that also use fire, and they fight fire with fire. Hmm. It looks like a pretty kick-ass shonen series, and from what I've heard, like the source material is pretty good. Yeah, I've heard that too. I think it's uh, <laughs> that definitely seems like it's going to be interesting. We'll be uh, probably looking more into that when we're actually doing research for our uh, season preview. Well, I don't think it's coming out next season. Oh, you don't think? No, I'm pretty sure it's like a ways off or something hmm. like that. Maybe it'll but be, I may be wrong. Who knows? Maybe it'll be in maybe it'll be in fall when the next season of Hiroaka comes out. Yeah, but that's pretty much it for this week. That's so, a lot of interesting nope. stuff. Oh, really? Not a lot of news this week. <laughs> that's good. 
So, it's, uh, <laughs> this makes our job easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, rolling into week nine of winter 2019 shows, starting off with Boogie Pop and Others, where we had a, well, what, what, they like released an entire arc last yeah. week. Yeah, and we only talked about one episode last week because we were expecting, oh, it's just going to be released yeah. weekly <laughs> by weekly. We weren't expecting them to release another four episodes like that very same day. I'm like, okay, we're not, we don't really have the time to yeah. talk about this because we don't have time to really prepare for it. So we just decided this week we're going to talk about this entire arc, the uh, four episodes, and then... Uh, Next week, we're going to be talking about the most recent episode that came out, and then the episode which is going to be coming out. Unless they release another fucking arc after that. (laughs) Oh god, I hope not, because it seems like they did it for a couple reasons. One, to to kind of be on track to actually releasing all 18 episodes in the span of this season, which I imagine production schedule for that must have been fucking hell. Yeah, unless they were ahead of time, maybe. Maybe. And the other one is because this entire arc was a flashback. Yeah, uh, Boogie Pop at Dawn was, yep. the, was the name of this arc. It, it was mostly about like a, a story surrounding some Toa organization um, goons, and yep. then uh, young little Babu Kiritamanagi. Yeah, who was totally adorable, by the yeah. way. <laughs> and also still a ridiculously good like ace detective at her age. Uh, she's one of my... She's basically like a, a woman version of like a young Batman. Mm-hmm. Which, except we find out something really interesting about Nagi. She apparently has, uh, is what is called an MPLS, I think, is what Scarecrow brought up. It's a quirk. It's yeah. a fucking quirk. <laughs> That's what it reminded me of. Yeah, it, 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 let's not beat around the bush. Yeah, these were basically quirks, although the Boogie Pop source material came out before Hero Academia. Yeah, so. I, I mean, and then you could also say that X-Men. Yeah, exactly. But, but in terms of recent stuff, this reminds me of quirks. Yeah, the, the big difference being is this kind of takes more of the X-Men approach, though, because uh, these are people who are kind of rare and not, uh, and it isn't as widely accepted. In fact, the, uh, the, we find out the whole aim of the Toa organization is to find these people, kind of research them, and determine if they're dangerous or not. And if they are deemed to be too dangerous, the Toa organization sends out people to kill them. I think they also, like, kidnap people to, to like, forcibly do research on them. Because their goal is, like, maintain, uh, make sure that humans are the top of the evolutionary chain. Yeah, that's the that's the biggest thing about them. And we get introduced to the main players in this story were Scarecrow, who played an arc for, who played a part for an episode, but was still very important. Pigeon, who plays an important part later. And then Mo Murder. <laughs> I, I couldn't make this up even if I wanted to. I don't understand why uh, the Toa organization makes it Seems it a necessity to name their freaking goons so weird yeah, things. They're all synthetic humans. He just kills people. What do we name him? Mo murder. I want to mo. I want to murder mo people. <laughs> <laughs> but anywho, um, then the last one is someone who I don't entirely know if they are a synthetic human. Fear Ghoul, aka Doctor Kasugi, who so she wasn't part of the Toa organization. Yeah, she wasn't, but she. And I don't even think she was a synthetic human, but no, she was. No, she just found the evolutionary goo that yeah. was left behind in Nagi's place. Yep, because because the way that uh, Kuroda, that's also known as Scarecrow, and her meet is because Kuro, because she has a terrible illness that the doctors only write off as growing pains. Growing pains. Yeah, ev- I'm sure <laughs> evolution, like 
unnatural progression of evolution is really good when it comes to growing pains, but... Yeah, I I, I was really interested in uh, Scarecrow. Yeah. Because he was this this kind of lapdog for the Toa organization, artificial human, kind of like disguised himself as a detective yeah. in normal life, which is probably a good excuse to stick around. Yeah, everywhere. exactly. Uh, but I liked seeing him slowly kind of realize that uh, he his humanity yeah. is still there when he was thinking about how Kiramanagi was like in constant pain and then these people were going to, his organization was going to hunt her down. Yeah, eventually. And because, because like he says that his primary mission is to track down MPLSs, which we don't figure out what entirely that means. At least it's never said what it is, but from what we can gather just from context clues in the show, they're, they're basically people with quirks. Yeah. And Nagi seems to just be like, she's ridiculously strong. Yeah, I think that's what it was. She like left a huge bruise on the Yeah, exactly. She's ridiculously strong, can take a crap load of damage. It's basically virtually indestructible, it seems. Yeah, and I think the serum that he injected her with, I think that halted her evolution. Yeah, so that she wouldn't evolve any further. Yeah, but because I think she still has the like regeneration... And, and super strength. Super strength. Yeah, she, it would seem so because uh, because basically that's what he was trying to do. It's not like he completely like reversed the process. It's just that he stopped it. Yeah, he wanted to make it so uh, she wouldn't be found out by the Toa organization, so that she could live her life as a somewhat normal girl. But it was interesting because like because like he basically when he's just talking with her, she asks him, "Well, what do you want to do with your life?" He's like, "Well, you know, if I didn't have to be a detective, I'd probably be a superhero." And that pl- comes into play majorly li- in the later in the arc. We yeah, find out that's that pretty much the inspiration for Nagi's entire do, yeah. purpose. Yeah, what she, why she does what she does. The second episode was kind of more figuring out about the main antagonist of the of this arc, Doctor Kisugi. She's very creepy. Holy shit, she's <laughs> creepy. Like you are freaking scary. Like. So her main MO was like fear. Yeah. She wanted to she, she wanted to see people afraid. And I guess to her the best way to do that was to pry open their jaw and take out their brain. Yeah. It's it was kind of it was a little bit more to it than that because like as she described it in her conversation with Nagi, she ever since she was young, she was always a coward. She was always afraid and she wanted to understand why she felt like that and why and, like, what caused her to feel that way. So she started researching it, and eventually that's just how she stumbled into being a psychiatrist. Which makes sense. A lot of people probably start to study things where they personally find where their inadequacies are so they can learn to turn them into strengths. Things like that. That's all a really cool motive. And her target, though, is basically... She went mad with power, pretty much, after she had injected herself with the, uh, with the formula. Because it turned her into a superhuman, basically. Yeah, I think she probably... She tested it on rats first, I think. Yeah, and then she... Before she actually injected it on herself. Yeah, there were just so... And there were just so many fucking creepy scenes with her. Mm. Like the scene with... uh, When she was uh, talking to that guy who nobody visited. Like, just... And he's just alone in this really dark room. And she, like, just rips open her, like, rips out oh, yeah. her fucking eyeball. Oh, my God. She's uh, basically torturing this guy. Yeah. Who's in a... Basically, paralyzed, I think. Yeah, paralyzed. He wasn't of, in a coma. He yeah, was aware. He, yeah, he was very aware of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then 
That was probably the creepiest scene. Yeah, also the scene in the lunchroom when she was basically harassing that, or was basically trying to get at the guy who was afraid of snakes. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was just more uncomfortable. Yeah, it was so uncomfortable. Creepy. Like, it was unsettling. It was yeah. just, yeesh, I don't uh, like this. The, the voice actress definitely did a very good job. Oh, no kidding. creepiness to that character. Yeah, exactly. The uh, The cool thing about uh, Dr. Kisugi is just the idea that she's a psychiatrist, so she knows what makes people afraid. That makes her a very intimidating villain. Because uh, it's sort of like Hannibal Lecter in that case, because he's also a psychiatrist. And mm-hmm. it's actually, I wonder if the two of them are kind of, if uh, Hannibal kind of inspired this character, because, you know, they're both psychiatrists and they're both kind of cannibalistic. It's the brain thing. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> now, that's what I'm talking about, because... Yeah. Uh, because Kisugi's whole thing is she wanted to kill, like, people she deemed to be emotionally strong and unafraid. Because she wanted them to basically experience true fear. Mm-hmm. And then she wanted to eat that, like, eat their brains so that, uh... Did she eat their brains? I'm pretty sure. Their brains were sucked out. I don't and she did, And no, and she kept saying, I'm pretty sure you'd be delicious to taste. Uh, maybe. So yeah. I'm pretty sure she was eating their brains. Yeah, I don't think they ever like explicitly said that, but yeah, I could, I could see I that. I mean, happening. yeah, it's on the news report they said their jaw, their mandibles were pried open and their brains were sucked out, so I'm... Just fucking stick a bendy straw in there and just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mmm. <laughs> Strawberry milkshake. <laughs> Ugh. And then we get another, uh, we get another really cool scene of meeting Boogie Pop. Like, Boogie Pop for the first time, so a very young uh, Miyashita Toka. Yeah, I that, I was surprised that Boogie Pop was inhabiting Toka at such a young age. Oh yeah, because there was actually before that scene with um uh, with Doctor Kisugi, it also showed the scene with uh, her talking with uh, Kuroda. Yeah, like, as yeah, he yeah. was dying, that was fascinating. Yeah, there but, was the when she, that was back when she got her. That's where she got the information, or the uh, inspiration for her name Boogie Pop. Because, uh, yeah, because uh, the Japanese the, word for bubble kind of sounds like boogie, as far as I can tell. Uh, I think it was, like, creepy. Mm. He's like, because in the subs, he was like, you're creepy. Mm. But he said boogie. Yeah, maybe. I, I could have sworn that it sounded like, uh, that it was for bubble and a bubble pops. So, hence mm. the name Boogie Pop, or Bubble Pop, pretty much. But I'm not sure. It's, yeah, either way, she got, either, that's where she got the inspiration for her name. Yeah, that's where she got the initial inspiration but didn't start going by it until years later. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, the scene with her talking, like, it's like, you know, try talking like a man. Ask, like, uh, act like it. Eventually maybe that personality will start to appear. Then it just starts talking naturally. That was really cool Yeah, and, and they creepy. played the, the same the, music. The Wagner that, piece. That they played when they when they the... Theme park fight. Oh yeah, yeah, that right before. Which uh, I'm pretty. Which I'm. Uh, oh yeah, um, uh, Gene. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure that's just the uh, the song they're constantly whistling. Like we see, we'll mm. get to the, we'll get this, we'll get to that part eventually. But uh, this is not the song that uh, Boogie Pop is uh, whistling when she first sees Echoes at the very beginning of the ep- at the very beginning of this Arkansas. <laughs> it's a very long story. I think that uh, yeah, that's. That is basically just her whistling the uh, the Wagner piece. I can never remember what it's called, but... Yeah, I don't know. Going back to, like, the whole humanity thing, it was interesting seeing all the emotions that, like, uh, Pigeon and uh, Mo Murder had as well, because yeah. at the end we learned that Pigeon was kind of working with Kisugi to get revenge for the person that she apparently loved. Yeah, because she, loved she was in love with Scarecrow. She was in love with Scarecrow, and... Uh, because of what uh, Kuroda did, 
he stole the drug to basically halt her, um, uh, halt her uh, Kirima's evolution. So because of he was now a danger to the Toa organization, it's like, okay, now he's got to die. So yeah. basically, yeah. I also want to point out, so Kisugi said something very interesting when they were talking with them, uh, when they were talking with Pigeon for the first time. My minions told me about you people. I wonder, I wonder who she was referring to. Like, was she referring to her patients? Uh, because maybe. because because we keep seeing scenes of that one patient who's convinced there are people that are constantly watching him, constantly observing him, and constantly saying like bad things about him to basically make people think he's crazy. Or she was talking about Pigeon. Well, apparently Pigeon was one of her minions. As well, well, no, but this is before this is before oh, they yeah. started working together. Oh, like okay. she she kind of revealed that she knew about the Toa organization existing because her minions told her about. Because her minions told me about it. Oh yeah, maybe that one guy wasn't crazy after all. Yeah, no, he was. I'm pretty sure he wasn't. But it does make me wonder why, uh, why he knew about this, like, or if it was just kind of some. Maybe he's another MPLS that we don't know about. Maybe yeah. Like we didn't really see his face. We only saw like the lower half of his face at any time that we were, uh, they were talking together. It's because I don't think he was a particularly important character. It was just. Uh, what he said was important. Yeah, exactly. The whole the whole writhing in fear comment that he yeah. made, like, and how she just stopped tapping her finger when he did that. It's like, go on, <laughs> because that's ultimately what um, what um, Hisagi want or Kisagi wants is to freaking make the world writhe in fear, mm-hmm. which yeesh, terrifying. So Mo murder. Um, it was interesting seeing his. His getting close to Kyoto Minagi because he originally, well, he killed her dad. Yeah, he killed. So. Yeah, he killed her dad because uh, because a little bit about Seichi. It seems that he had he was also another MPLS. It seems I'm almost like he had any superpowers. Um, it seemed very. It seemed that all these other MPLSs were kind of drawn to his work and eventually decided to start using their gifts because of the things he'd written. I think he's just an inspiring author. I don't think that's any superpower to it. The, the reason that the Toa organization caught on to him is because a bunch of people started paying attention to him. A bunch of the MLPSs or MPLSs, whatever, yeah. they started paying attention to him. So they're like, hey, maybe this guy's interesting. We should... I, maybe, but at the same time, he started to kind of, Like, something started to click with him when he... Um, uh, like, after he read that fan letter, like, from the kid who had, was able to basically, as uh, his editor help like assistant researcher whatever gen his name was basically pointed out this kid had the ability to basically break through whatever was holding people back mm-hmm. so it kind of makes me think that maybe that uh that's uh seichi had a similar ability just to be able to reach people with his writing i don't know that's uh, that's speculation it's possible yeah yeah i mean it's it's speculation but uh but anyway getting back to the whole like uh Mo murder working with uh, working with yeah, Kirima. I, I liked him. I, I like to see him slowly. Like uh, it, it was a very psychological episode. I mean, this is a whole psychological anime. Yeah, but it was interesting seeing the fact that he doesn't kill people out of malice or anger or anything. He does it because he's told to. Yeah, and exactly. Kir- he and only Kirima orders. And Kirima pointed that out. She's like, I don't think that you would ever kill somebody of your own volition. Like which, you- which is kind of an interesting situation in and of itself because. To him, it's like doing his job, mm-hmm. I, and I'm assuming he probably didn't want to kill uh, Kirima back when she was young and stepped into the room. Yeah. 
he was probably hoping that she wouldn't look up or anything like that. Yeah. I imagine so. It was interesting seeing him in the end, how he decided to save her, Mm -hmm. her girl help her. Yeah, like, and we see, like, uh, we see him, like, appear a few times, like, for one, when, uh, like, he appears, like, sees her hospital room, like, at first, and he gets kind of shocked about that. We don't entirely know why that is at the time. That gets revealed when it's like, oh, he actually knows her. I thought that was all really cool. And then lastly... The final, like, episode of the arc was the showdown with with Kisugi. Good lord, that this ep- that episode was awesome. Yeah, that's pretty kick-ass, though. I mean, like, you, you you never expect this kind of show to have, like, kick-ass fight scenes, but when yeah. it does, you're just like, oh, whoa, god! Oh, god, yeah. yeah. Like, like, when the, like when, um, uh, Scarecrow, like, earlier on, when he was, like, jumping on... On streetlights! streetlights. And yeah. they're just, just shattering beneath so him. Kick-ass. Yeah, but this fight scene is sweet. Uh, we gotta see... Uh, I think, um... It was a combination of Kudermas, uh super strength and um, Dr. Kasugi's like body freaking out when uh, Kiruma just like ripped her arm off. Oh god, yeah. Because as far as we can tell, like it seems like Kirima did a lot of research maybe off screen. Because it's not like she's lacking for money to be able to do yeah, that. Yeah. She even said to Kurod, it's like, hey, if you ever wanted to be a superhero, I could sponsor you. <laughs> Which... She eventually ended up sponsoring herself, mm-hmm. so that she's basically Batman. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> she's Batman. <laughs> she's got all the money too. Yeah, and uh, she basically point. It seems like she did a lot of research because she had the ability to determine, or at least it felt like she kind of knew that the electricity would mess would mess up with the MPLSs in some way, or at the very least, or because. Or at the very least would affect her. I think it was just trump card. I don't, I don't necessarily think she knew that it would be especially effective against Kisugi. I'm pretty sure she just thought that Kisugi was a slightly stronger than normal person. Yeah. Or faster because of fucking... She's just, like running along the highway. Yeah, like, well, she's seen, on her bike. You ever seen Kung Fu Hustle? Yes! Oh my god, imagine <laughs> that. Just like running and like slightly tilting. Yeah, that that movie was fucking ridiculous, but... Uh, but, uh, yeah, like, I mean, I'm pretty sure she's just like, well, electricity hurts living things. Yeah. Let's just do that. Unless you've got an insulated suit, apparently. Because she was standing in a freaking river, decided uh, to pull a up... pond. Or pond, yeah. And, and that was... I want to point out, that uh, shock stick mm. must have had a lot of electrical power to shock an entire pond. Mm-hmm. Worth yeah. of water. Yeah, no kidding. The I thought it was hilarious though too. Oh, it's just like I would. It's like I wouldn't have been able to. I was worried I'd come this far. I wouldn't be able to do this. <laughs> and then just jam the freaking electric stick mm-hmm. into the water. Yeah, I was a little confused at first when she didn't get electrocuted until she brought up the whole insulated suit thing. Yeah, it's necessary for a superhero to have one of these. Yeah, which I'm pretty sure her, that like it was bright pink, which I'm pretty sure she eventually caught on. Maybe this should maybe this should be a less conspicuous color, like because late, when she's in high school, her outfit is black, which makes a little bit more sense. But it's not a phase. It's not a phase, mom. <laughs> oh wait, my mom is away. Is she? A- her mom, yeah, her mom is divorced her dad and is marrying some other guy. Because ah, right. there was that whole little scene when he was, when she was teasing him about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, with that. <laughs> and then... Boogie Pop. Boogie Pop's event is the one who finally, uh, is the one who finally kills Kisugi. Yeah, so based off the interaction with Boogie Pop and Kirima Nagi, I think that in the opening they're not fighting each other, I think they're working together. Yeah, I... Uh, just because they... They definitely seem like they're on the same, like, 
they, they want the same thing. They, they yeah. want to stop evil things from hurting the world. Yeah, exactly. I, I, and I was wondering about that because, like, the intro, like, the shot composition and stuff from the intro would have you possibly believe otherwise. It was just ambiguous enough to maybe suggest yeah. that the two of them might be at odds. It's definitely in the intentional. That yeah, way. which I think is really cool. It's all about subverting expectations with this show. And then, uh, the final thing that I wanted to bring up in this episode is seeing Kisugi, like, just freaking out. Like, her actually being legitimately fucking terrified. Is this fear? <laughs> yeah. Just, just running, like, her leg falls off. I don't it know. It doesn't if... fall off. It got cut off. Yeah, because she... By Boogie Pop. Because Tripwire. Yeah. And then, it's like... It, like he got, she cut off, like, her other arm and then one of her legs. Mm. And then, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like... Come at me, I'm ready, whatever. It's like, okay, fine. Just pop. <laughs> Just popped off her head. But the uh but then we get finally get back to the uh it's like, oh, we're in this disappearing okay, distorted yeah. world. This I didn't really understand at all. Yeah, I didn't either. And this was like, okay, now Boogie Pop is at the place where uh, Echoes sent all of his data, I'm assuming. I I don't because like Echoes like looked up to the sky and he felt like a laser up. Hmm. Uh, when yeah. he died, or maybe not died, maybe just sent his consciousness somewhere else. Yeah, and now Boogie Pop's talking about wanting to get back to their world somehow. Yeah, which, like, when did this happen? Like, I'm assuming that it's something that is going to be covered in the next couple Probably, episodes. Probably, because that's what but, the show does. Yeah, the show does like to take things out of sequence, but at the same time, I'm like, what the fuck is yeah. going on here? <laughs> you're on the moon or something. Yeah, or like in uh, Watchmen with Dr. Manhattan when he goes to Mars. I have never seen Watchmen. Have you ever read the comic? I have never read the comic. Oh, well, it's kind of like Dr. Manhattan eventually goes to Mars because he's tired of dealing with people. Ah. So, anyway, next up is Dororo. We get a nut- we get a episode that was good. Could have done with a little less narration, though. What do you mean? Because, okay, the whole big thing was... Uh, was Hyakimaru is fighting against a monster for the first time oh, that he cannot yeah, see. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and then, like, and I liked how uh, they were showing him sort of, like, off-screen, just kind of throwing rocks. Yeah, I thought like, he was pouting at Yeah, first. they made a point to, it looked like he was pouting, because he, he looked upset, and he was just throwing rocks at a, a smaller rock at a bigger rock all day, trying to, uh, what we figured out. Um, was him gauging distance and exactly, sound. Exactly, yeah, just kind of practicing. And then it kind of spoiled it when the narrator was like, oh, he's doing this. It's like, okay, it's like, no shit, I figured yeah. that. Because both of us called it, it's like, wait, what's he doing? Is he freaking determining, is he freaking figuring out where yeah, it is based on the sound? he's just randomly throwing rocks out. Yeah, and then when, uh, and then when he actually finally shoots the centipede thing, which, uh, that thing was creepy looking, by the way. Like, most of the monsters in this series are fucking creepy. When he finally sh- is just shooting it with uh, Saru's bow and arrow. It's just, uh, he's slowly gauging it, getting closer before he slashes it in the eye. It's like, oh man, that was so cool. Immediately spoiled by Yakimaru was able to determine this. Minor gripe, but it just kind of cheapened the yeah. experience. Also, me. and the other the other time it kind of cheapened that experience was when he was talking about Yakimaru uh, was surrounded by a wall of fire. For the first time, he couldn't see anything. Like he had truly lost his sight. It's like again, I would have been much. I would have been much more. Uh, I would have been much more satisfied with it if they had just kind of shut up. Because mm-hmm. it's like you know, we can see that this is an an. It, it's not a book. We don't need to have. <laughs> an ex- we don't need to have this exposited for us. Uh, so but minor gripe. Yeah, I. 
it was really weird hearing Hyakimaru's voice so much in this episode. Yeah. Uh, like like when uh, when Dorado got knocked out. And he was just like, ah! 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 I thought he was fucking echolo- using echolocation for a second. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it turns out he was trying to call for him, which mm-hmm. was cool. And then when Dodoro finally wakes up and he says, I'm right next to its eye. That was actually a really cool, like a really cool <laughs> little segment. Because we actually, we finally see Dodoro actually kind of contributing to the whole monster hunting bit. Yeah, it was nice seeing Dodoro actually do something. Yeah, which... Because <laughs> he makes a point this up ep- like this entire episode of the whole time he's talking with Saru, it's like we know a thing or two about monster hunting. Yeah, he's always <laughs> like, so proud about Hyakimaru killing monsters for him. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, he finally decides that oh, it's time to start helping Hyakimaru. So it's actually interesting seeing how much he's grown over the past few um, uh, episodes. Yeah, they actually, uh, I would say, kind of almost beat it. When yeah, because they, like, they, they they made the uh, the sun shine down on it, but mm-hmm. it was just like yeah, more pollution. Yeah, because I guess I'm assuming that's just because it had gotten bigger and was able to expel more um, expel yeah, more of that shit from its body. Mm-hmm. I also want to point out the uh, Nokosari Gumo. That's what the that's what the villagers called it. The giant centipede cloud is reminded me a little bit of uh, Galactus from Rise of the Silver Surfer. You know what I mean? That that terrible last movie. No. So. So in uh, in Fantastic Four and most Marvel comics, you know about Galas- Galactus, right? No, Galactus Devourer. <laughs> okay, Galactus Devourer of Worlds in uh, Rise of the Silver Surfer. Rather than it being some big ass monster creature, they just turned it into a giant space cloud that destroyed that ate yeah, up planets. Okay. So anyway, that terrible movie aside, this this whole episode was just really cool to watch because we see another like young boy character actually. Saru. Yes, yeah, Saru. And he definitely looked like a monkey. Yeah, he did look like a yeah, monkey. Like the monkey ears, the monkey lip. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like that face fuzz. Yeah, exactly. He looked. Whatever. He looked like a monkey. The uh, and even his uh, his older sister, not really his older sister, had pointed out that he looks like a monkey. <laughs> and mm-hmm. he was just a little mount. He was like a, just a, a feral child, pretty much, just living out on his own. Why did the Why did the villagers hate him again? They, they didn't like him because, like, he had just basically claimed the mountain for himself. Oh, yeah, that's right. Like, it's just like, oh, this isn't your mountain, kid. Get the hell out of here. They basically saw him as, like, a pester and nuisance, mm-hmm. which it kind of makes sense. And then when he, uh, when they were getting ready to uh, sacrifice his older sister, I find it incredibly hilarious that the two guards that were guarding her, like, the first thing they do when they get up, they don't acknowledge the fact that they got knocked out by, like, two small boys. <laughs> Who clubbed him in the back of the head? I don't think they even realized who they got knocked out by because they got clubbed in the back of the head. Like they didn't even know. Yeah, it's just like the first thing they look up and see, it's like, oh shit, there's a sk- there's a terrifying. Black I mean, cloud. priorities. Yeah, right. <laughs> like if there's a fucking terrifying centipede demon in the sky, you're not gonna be like, oh, I wonder how I got knocked out. You're yeah. gonna be like, I better get the fuck out of here. Yeah, ex- <laughs> that's fair. The uh, Saru, by the way, he kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, Princess Mononoke with the animal pelt and shit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. And Ugh, we got a really good payoff. Yeah. In yeah, this episode with uh, Hyakimaru finally saying Dorado's name. Yeah, and getting a sense of smell back. Oh, man. He, he's just, he just gets the worst end of the stick for all the senses. Because, like, when he... When he was able to hear for the first time... He first heard somebody was, crying. Yeah, somebody crying really annoyingly. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he does when he can smell is smell terrible sulfur. Yeah, he gas. smells uh, natural gas, which uh, 
I like how they they never acknowledge it as such, but they basically are. It's like okay, just put it together. This smells like rotten egg. It smells like rotten eggs. It's explosive. Well, I mean, if you've ever been to like a natural park, yeah, you know what it smells like. Yeah, or, or, or in hot springs or whatever. It it stinks. Yeah, it smells terrible. But they, I like how they were able to just kind of uh, use that to their advantage, like because they knew that it smelled really bad, and they knew it was also explosive because they tried to use that to their advantage in the. Uh, in the fight with the centipede. Yeah. Which they did, but... It didn't work. It didn't, it didn't work. Yeah. Uh, and the last the last thing about this that I really liked was uh, how Saru tries to make a big deal about, like, I, I don't have time to cry. Like, uh, I have to avenge my big sister. But then when Hiyakimaru goes to check on them, because he, because he hears somebody crying, and then he goes to check on them, and you hear uh, Saru crying in his sleep, and then it pans over to Dodoro, who's also crying. He doesn't say, like, a name or anything, but it's... Pretty clear that he's crying about his parents. Yeah, it's just a nice, it's just a nice little like, moment. He's had nightmares about that multiple times so far. Yeah, at least implied nightmares. Mm-hmm. Indeed, I I really like this episode. So next up is JoJo's Bizarre Adventure: Golden Wind. Okay, King, King Crimson's ability is spooky as fuck. It's it it's allows so... for a lot of exposition. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. It's. <laughs> Like, I'm able to basically see, like, foresee your movements and for a short period of time so that I'm able to avoid them. You're not, and then during this time, you're not able to realize that, that certain things have happened, pretty much, is what it feels like. It's, it's very weird. Yeah, so when he had Bucciarati punch himself, did he, like, stop, or whatever he does to time, did he, like, move Bucciarati in the in, in the way of his own attack? This, you mean the same way that Dio removed Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't, it, cause it, I don't understand exactly how he made Bucciarati punch himself. Uh, I don't, I don't either. Maybe that was supposed to be, like, Bucciarati, maybe that was just supposed to be Bucciarati's clue that mm. something was, that something was off. So, so King Crimson's ability, what it does is it allows the boss to perceive time a few seconds ahead of time. At uh, least he can, five to ten, as far yeah, as we And can he can tell. act in that time, and then he can skip it. He can, like, skip a few seconds. Mm-hmm. And then the only... And even if you do something in those seconds, you don't perceive what you did. Yeah. It's it's like your brain fast-forwards to what what happened, like, five yeah, exactly. seconds later. And the way they showed that, like, on the... Um, uh, with the rest of the team was pretty cool. Like, how you see... Like Naranjo is like fighting over these chocolates that he has, and the next thing he knows, they're all in his mouth. Uh, he saw like cat. Giorno saw cat's paws walking like a, like cat paw prints along his leg, and he looked and saw a bunch of cats eating a dead fish. Yeah, interesting note about that is that if you go back to the previous episode near the end when Bucciarati first encounters the boss, you can count the number of times that uh, there's time skips being used, and then there's that exact amount in the beginning of this episode. Oh, really? Yeah, so it's not just... I don't think he's just freezing locally time. I think he's just, like, boom, the entire world. Yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah, that kind of makes sense. So it is kind of like a combination. It is sort of like Dio's The World Ability in yeah. that regard, where you can just stop time. But I I don't know. King Crimson's ability is so weird. Yeah, I just thought that was a... That's a that was a, a well-done kind of segue yeah yeah that was that was really well done and then what was even cooler was basically Giorno figuring out how to uh how to counter that because when he knew that something was wrong the he turned the his 
he turned like part of the turtle it seemed into his brooch and the brooch like it was basically a turtle with stand abilities so is what they described what it as. he said is like he used the cells from the turtle with the key with the key or, or something like that I think it's something along the lines of the things he did with, like, the snake, mm-hmm. but it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was really cool how he's just like, oh, boom, now it's a turtle, and he gets sucked up. Yeah, and then, but, and then it was also really cool how, like, uh, it seems like the boss is overly reliant on, uh, on basically learning how to counter his attacks because, uh, on people's attacks, because he never is able to completely foresee exactly what Bucciarati was going to do. It's when the whole thing with sticky fingers, it's like, I wasn't really aiming for you, boss. I was aiming for the pillar behind you so that I could escape. Yeah. Like, it's basically like a kind of chess game that the two of them were playing. I, I didn't realize he could use his, uh, the zipper as like a mean of transportation. That's pretty <laughs> cool. Yeah, that was pretty cool. We, we never, as far as I know, we've never seen him do that. Yeah, I don't remember doing it. But, yeah. And then the biggest part of this episode, though, like aside, like the majority of this episode was Bucciarati versus uh, King Crimson, which Bucciarati is sort of dead. We, yeah, it's it, he. So he, quote unquote, died. The white mist left his body, which is usually yeah. a sign that somebody fucking dies in this series. And then his ghost appeared, which has happened before. In yeah, Joe. But I guess he's not dead. Like. I don't know. He, it could be like a sort of revenant type situation because because Jorno because Jorno basically did uh, he does what he does and like heals the wounds by replacing the parts that are supposed to be missing. Which okay, fine, we've seen him do that before. But the weird thing that strikes him is like, did I miss a wound? It's like I could I couldn't have. I'm sure I got everything. But then. We see, like, uh, him get impaled uh, in the hand with a small rock. Ugh. It, it, like, yeah, like, stabs all the way through his hand and there's, like, no blood or anything. It's yeah, just... so it could be, like, he's basically a revenant or something so, like so that. So I think what's happening is that he's being kept alive or kept animated specifically by gold experience. Oh. I think, I think, uh, his, Jordan's uh, ability is only kind of keeping Bucciarati alive. Mm. And then he wants... I don't know. I don't. I think it's. I don't think he's going to be permanent. I think eventually Bucciarati is going to is actually going actually, to kick the bucket yeah, forever. Going to die. Yeah. We, we know he is only. Uh, at least we kind of know he's only partially alive. A because of the whole no blood thing, and then B because his stand isn't doing its job very well. Uh, because Trish's hand is still attached, but it's also bleeding, mm. so it's not attached super well. Yeah. So he's certainly in a very weakened state. Yeah. Which. The other big half of this episode was was Bucciarati trying to convince everyone in the team to go along with uh, him. Oh, yeah. Which, that was super cool. He, like, what he said was, I'm not ordering you to come with me. I'm not even asking you to come with me. This decision is all up to you. Which, it's really interesting how Abakio is the first person to actually, um, is the first person to actually go along with him. Mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting that. Like, Mista's was... Like, his reasoning was just, I I feel the, like, I just feel, like, the most at ease when I'm, like, with you, pretty much, was Abakio's reasoning. Mista's reasoning was also really cool, the whole, uh, well, Bucciarati's smart. I'm pretty sure he wouldn't start a fight he doesn't, he wasn't sure he couldn't win. Yep. And the last one was Narancha ultimately deciding, just, I... Like, I can sympathize with Trish's plight. Yeah, because like, he went through, like, pretty much the exact same thing. Like, she, like, Narancha was betrayed by the people that were supposed to be looking out for him the most. And Trish literally just had her father try to kill yeah. her. 
So Fugo is the one person that isn't going with them right now, but I'm sure he's going to show up later. Yeah, he's to going save to. the day because I've seen this show before and I know how it works. Yeah, exactly. We <laughs> this is pretty much exactly how JoJo's works. It's always we're going to make a big deal about how Fugo is not going to join the group. It's like how can I, it's like how can I join? These people are idiots. They're suicidal. Ah, crap. I guess I'm going to have to. <laughs> or, or they're just going to randomly be like, well, Fugo decided to work for the boss now. And oh. they just kill somebody. That, yeah, that'd be weird. The last, the last thing is basically the boss's elite guard are now looking for, are now looking for Bucciarati and Giorno. They don't know about the other, the other three that have went along with them, but they yeah. know that those two specifically are traitors. Yeah, Bucciarati and Giorno have a hit put out on them, mm-hmm. essentially, from the entire... I'm assuming the entire mob. Yeah. The, the entire mafia. And in Venice, specifically, that's where they say the boss's elite guards are probably hiding. Mm-hmm. Which, I want to point out, there's still one member of the Hitman team that we don't know about. Is he, mm-hmm. is he actually been working with the boss this whole time? I doubt it. I there, me his, too. Like, his team's whole goal was to get back at the boss. Yeah. For, for killing I don't know. their old friends. And maybe Rizzo- maybe Risotto is going to think, well, maybe if I can maybe if I can gain the boss's trust now by killing those two, I can probably get back at him later or something. Because like cause what else has he got? His entire team is dead mm. at, at this point, so who really knows? All I know is I want to see a fancy opening. Yeah. Soon. <laughs> me too. Well, we got like another... We've got like the rest of this season and then another season after this, so... Yeah. Maybe. So next up, Kaguya-sama, Love is War. We meet... Me, we actually see in person uh, uh, <laughs> Miyuki's little sister, Kei. <laughs> yeah, I love... I love Kaguya's flip-flop between... Hating Chica. To absolutely yeah. loving her. Uh, <laughs> I know, it's so... timing for that. It's yeah, it's, it's like, why did you come shopping with us, Kaguya? Mm. Oh, that sounds lovely! <laughs> Chica's such a good girl. I'm so... It's like, I could never be her enemy. <laughs> Everyone's been memeing the... Sword... Sword stance, or... Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Way of, hello, way of the sword. Hello, way of the sword back at you. Because those two are very close. Because they just had to keep shoving it in our faces... Look how close they are. Look, yeah, look, look how, how much friends they are. It's yeah. like Chikane. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> and I like how um, uh, Kaguya's entire entire thing is just wanting to get a, re- get a good relationship with Kei so that she can get a good relationship with the rest of Miyuki's family. And she had, like, her extended fantasies about this. Just, how far could this go? Yeah. And... It just how that's completely subverted by the fact that Kay is incredibly nervous around her. I think she had a crush on. Yeah, Mayor. it's. I think that's what it is. Yeah, I'm pretty. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it is too. So the uh, the other big thing, or another really funny thing, actually, was when uh, was when Kay when when uh, Kaguya was talking with Kay about the uh, financial reports of her club organization. Because shock of all shocks, she's also a member of the student council. Me, um, uh, Ishi- of, her, of her middle school. Yeah. Ishigami shows up in the background as like an amorphous black blob before actually making his appearance. <laughs> yeah, I love the the assumption that you can just, like, before he showed up, you can just be like, okay, he was probably somewhere yeah. at any point. Because yeah. <laughs> he usually appears just out hiding behind something. Yeah, or he's under a desk. Like, we've seen Chica pull him out from under the desk. It's like, yeah. hey, come on, we've got stuff to do. 
I like how it's uh, another how it's a running joke that Chica can't whistle. Yeah. <laughs> That's not whistling. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it keeps going. Yeah, exactly. I uh, I think it's freaking hilarious because uh, because the other because there were three skits. The first one with K. The second one was like let's let's prepare for finals and how like the mental chess game between uh, Miyuki and Kaguya like. Okay, we need to deter- we need to basically figure out how we're going to outdo the other one. We need to play as dirty as possible. They, yeah, the, the narrator definitely yeah. uh, stepping up to make he's the lying. situation more yeah, intense. Yeah, he's lying. She's lying. Yeah. She's being totally honest because <laughs> Chica's like, I won't study. Yeah, just, just like ambushing their friend to make it so they have higher chances to be at the top. <laughs> yeah, they're they are terrible people, but they're great. But they're great for each other. I, uh, my favorite part about this bit was like, um, well, A, uh, seeing uh, Shiragane, or, or um, Kaguya, yeah. when she was just like, oh, I'm so proud of you. I'm sure you worked really hard for this moment. And on the inside, she's just like, Aah! yeah, it's just like, if she could, she would be, she would be stomping her feet and, tr- and rolling around if it mm-hmm. wasn't a public place. And then Miyuki's like, I don't have it in me to be pleased anymore. I don't have it in me to be pleased anymore. <laughs> And then he walks, and he's just like, "Yeah!" It's like shadow boxing in the bathroom stall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like, "How do you like that?" And then at the end of the at the end of the bit, we it was Kagi like pouting mm-hmm. to her maid in front of yeah. her house. Yeah, just uh, freaking out. Hayasaka, I believe her name is. And then just her um, and the maid's just like, "There, there, yeah. there, there." <laughs> and then it's revealed that uh, Ishigami at first was 197th out of close to 200 students. So he's near the very bottom of the list, but then he jumped 20 places, which they basically then the third and final skit of this episode was going back and figuring out, it's like, let's go back a bit. And it's just Kaguya teaching him how to study pretty much. Yeah. Which kind of makes Kaguya's second place even more impressive because she was not only spending her time studying her, uh, on her own. own for her own stuff, but she was also spending a lot of time yeah. making sure he studied. I know, I, exactly enough, enough to not fail. Yeah, exactly. He just, even though he just barely passed, which I think it was great. When he's actually just kind of humbled. It's like, thank you so much for helping me. I, I am glad I was able to. Like, I wouldn't have been able to do this without you. And then Kaguya freaking just turning coat and flipping on him. It's like, how dare you make me lose face like this? I again, because kind of going back to what you were saying about the uh, about the whole. The reason why she got second place is probably because she wasn't focusing as much in her own studies and instead trying to help Ishigami. I I think it's kind of hilarious. Like, basically, it's almost like, how could you let me, like, all my res- all my hard work is literally going to nothing here, mm-hmm. pretty much. Like, that's, it's like, how could I have possibly, like, spent, wasted my time with this? Yeah, it's a uh, surprisingly wholesome little moment of the episode, too, where, um... Yuki was like, "Oh yeah, that's just that's just how she is." She, yeah, she, she she may seem tough, but she still helps the people around her. And it was a wholesome moment between uh, Ishigami and uh, and Kaguya, two people who have been determined to who basically hate each other at this point. But uh, wholesome moment with them in the library where these girls are bad mouthing Ishigami, oh, yeah. and then her basically saying, "I don't judge people based on what other people say. I judge them based on their own merits." Which she points out, Ishigami is smart. He's just incredibly lazy. <laughs> well, and, I was like, the, the student counselor was like, oh, yeah, you're going to need to study hard. And he's like, yes, I will study hard. He's lying. <laughs> he went to go, what what nerve of him to buy a video game right, during final, right before finals week? Yeah. And uh, 
I'm gonna take be taking away your blip bloppy devices and phone. <laughs> I, it was just it was just a Vita. <laughs> yeah, it was it was, it was a Vita. It was a Vita and his cell phone, which <laughs> which is hilarious. But uh, Chica managed to be like middle of the class as per usual because she's a good student, mm-hmm. but. She had no reason to doubt the fact that uh, Kaguya and Miyuki were, were basically... <laughs> why would I doubt them? my friends? My yeah. most trusted friends? Yeah, why would I be doubting them? And I want to... Ishigami keeps pointing out how he's a problem child in middle school who never showed up. It makes me wonder... Because he keeps referring to something like he messed up back in middle school. Like, when they showed the picture of him, though, back in middle school, he looked like a relatively polished kid. So it makes me wonder if that was something before the big mess up, where before where he is the way he is now, or something. I thought he looked kind of like a delinquent. Kind of, <laughs> but his hair was all like messy and. Kind of, but he was, but he didn't look like he didn't look like totally emo like he did now. He probably just like slacked off a lot or something, or maybe he got in a bunch of fights, maybe or something. Well, if he got in a lot of fights, why would he be so afraid of Kaguya? <laughs> I don't know. I I wonder if that's something that's going to be um, uh, going to be addressed later because I'm actually kind of curious. Ishigami has been a delightful addition to the cast, and I'm very interested in finding out more about him. Oh, and then uh, I hope we also find out more about uh, Chika's other siblings because it turns out she's got two other siblings: a younger yeah. sister who's like best friends with K, and then an older sister who we haven't seen yet, but seems to be just as cheery as a. Uh, the remain as her other two siblings. The next up is the magnificent Kotobuki. This hey. was a Kate centric episode. Yeah, it was. Um, she 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 seems very like. Uh, I don't know what the archetype for that character is called. Uh, Kudere. Yeah, Kudere. Yeah. Yeah, she's like very emotionless, but she she has a lot of emotions. She just doesn't know how to show them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I will, and I've kind of stood by the fact that I think she's a, I think she's autistic. Because she spends a lo- because she spends a lot of time like uh, spends a lot of time like looking at like uh, reference books and stuff like that, constantly studying, it, kind of attributing a bunch of kind of mundane information that most people wouldn't be able to retain. Yeah. But then is like totally off put by like metaphors and things like that of that nature. Which one of the things in her that she said in the episode was uh, like fiction is pointless because the author can just write whatever they want. There's no fact to it. Yeah, she doesn't understand the concept of like enjoying a story. Yeah, exactly. I uh, uh, I love how consistent they are with Kate's little like chime ins on everything. Yeah, like they they don't they, they they didn't just do it a little bit and then forget about it. It's just like throughout this entire series, she's been like, oh, actually, that's that. Yeah, and actually, this is that. Yeah, no, like they've stuck very close to their guns with developing with um, showing her character character archetype here mm-hmm. she is definitely the kind of a kudere type who has a who has an older brother i want to say I, an older brother, yeah. yeah because he likes to drink like <laughs> well also who's to say what legal drinking age in this place is yeah we don't know but i'm pretty sure it's an older brother because yeah he, probably he just kind of has that air about him i guess but uh Apparently he was a re- he was apparently a researcher and he had gotten he had gotten his plane shot down and he was crippled as as a result. I don't know uh, I don't know why Kate decided to join the Kotobuki as a result. I think probably because, for a to uh, also be a pilot and b also to pay for his hospital bills. Probably, I imagine so. Because and also he, it's revealed that Alan knew Riona, which was probably her in into the Kotobuki Corps anyway. So. Yeah, probably. That may, definitely makes sense. The uh, 
The other big thing about this is I think we have our major antagonists now, which the, the Standin Oil Company, I yeah. think. Like, based on the, like, they never say that they're the antagonists, but just based on the contact clues we're given, it's pretty obvious they're yeah, the antagonists. Yeah, I think they're the ones that are sending in, like, the, all those random attacks that have been happening throughout the yeah. series. And not only that, but, uh, but on top of that, they have seen they're a they're a big corporation, so likely they have a lot of money. And the air pirates, they point they especially point out it's like the type of plane. It's like how do air pirates have type four Hayates? Oh yeah, like, well I mean it was it was pretty obvious that they were the ones that attacked this episode for yeah. sure because they wanted they wanted the monopoly on the gas and oil right Yeah, but they were releasing a lot because. They were releasing a lot of, like, cheap, low-quality yeah, they're, like, oil. the definition of, like, a greedy corporation. Yeah, much. exactly. And, uh, I like, uh, I like how Kate, like, they were, uh, they were basically like, oh, by the way, the, uh, the oil field we usually go to is being attacked. What do you think we should do about it, Kate? It's like, I think we should go and defend it. It's like, why do you think that? And she gives, like, this really long, detailed explanation on how it's beneficial for them to actually save the place, which was... Really cool shows like uh, Kate's analytical mind about all about stuff like this. It also does a good job showing uh, the the leader. I, I forget what her name is. Uh, Madam or Riona? The the Madam. Yeah, yeah. How she she's actually she's not just like go do this, go do this. She's willing to like listen to all of her different um, yeah work teammates. Yeah, of course she's of course she's willing to do that for the right price like only the right price because yeah. <laughs> she's like okay we're not just going to There's profits in it yeah it's like we're not just going to uh like how we don't want just reduced prices or like a bunch of or a bunch of oil given to us we want reduced prices on the oil that you do sell us for life pretty much yeah, and a year's supply of gasoline exactly <laughs> so <laughs> that's a lot of gasoline yeah it is a lot of gas um it seems like every episode recently we're getting somebody shot down. Like, one of the Kotobuki girls' planes are out of commission. Because last episode it was Kilie whose plane was shot down, which is why she had to be piloting the bomber this episode. Which, by the way, is it really possible to take out, to put out a bunch of fires with a fucking explosive? Yes. It that is? is really? It is a real-life thing that people do sometimes. Huh. It's usually, like, um... It's usually used in, like, controlled burns where... They will set dynamite around a fire or, or along uh, where a fire is going, mm-hmm. and they'll make a big explosion so it'll like stop the fire. Mm. Uh, otherwise, yeah, sometimes they'll drop some. It's it's been done in the past. Mm. Yeah. Okay, I I thought like I mean I figured there must be some basis to it. It just sounds like so outlandish. Well, think about it. It's just like it's a it's depriving an area of oxygen for a moment mm. from the explosion. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. It's just it is just a little bizarre to me. Like also, I imagine like the force of the like yeah, the force yeah. of the explosion would probably dampen it, which is interesting. The uh, I want to point out that the uh, like the old guy who ran the oil ri- who ran this uh, oil field that they were uh, that they constantly go to. It's like ah, oh, the winds of fortune are truly smiling on me today. I like the winds of a big ass explosion. <laughs> like oh, I love that guy. Yeah, he was cool. Like he was just he was just kind of an. An old grouch, sort of, but it wasn't particularly grouchy. Like, he wasn't, like, old sap. He was a bit of a grump, but also very jovial. It was an interesting uh, mm-hmm. clash. And then Kate reads her first fiction story. And, and it's kind of a nice little moment, moment between uh, Chica and Kate. Yeah. 
uh, Chica kind of trying to introduce her into the, the world of fiction. And then on top of that, like just them talking about the fiction is sort of what made them realize about the whole, like probably what the stand-in uh, oil company's game is. Because like the whole point of that story was about the crab who wanted to like take away, who liked to drink. So he wanted to take away the ability to drink from everybody else. And so that he could have more of it, but eventually he just ran the spout dry so he could never drink again. So it's sort of, so they were just kind of able to realize, oh yeah, the Stan and Oil Company is probably behind this. And then at the end of the episode we hear, I want to say the HR chief from Elite Industries is uh, like his voice, because he was working with somebody else, because that's why you betrayed Elite Industries. Yeah, it makes sense that he's working for Stanton Oil. Yeah, exactly. So I'm... So yeah, it's almost guaranteed at this point that the Stan and Oil Company is the uh, are like the major antagonist of this series. Yeah, because we don't have that many episodes left. They're probably going to be the big finale. Next up, Mob Psycho 102. This was mostly a nice episode. Yeah, it was mostly nice, <laughs> except for the last... I it was like say, 95% nice episode. I want to say, except for like the last uh, three, four minutes, yeah. where probably is where shit hit the fan. Um, so... Clarify something. You saw Mob Psycho 100, like, the first season more recently. Yeah. Who is that paparazzi girl that keeps showing up? Like, I mean, I, like, she was a big part of this episode. I, like, and I remember seeing her in the intro for the first season, but I don't remember her character at all. Uh, she was the one who was trying, who was, like, investigating Mob, uh, when he, like, went to Dimple originally. Oh, yeah. Okay. When Dimple was leading the church of people before yeah. they became the psychohoma religion okay she's just one of uh, mob's uh, like schoolmates okay so she's and she's just like basically just a snoop yeah pretty much okay that all right i was just like i knew that she was kind of important because now she wanted to uh because now her big deal this episode was trying to get the mob the uh the psychohelmet religion to finally see their leader mm-hmm. her biggest reason is because it sounds like it'd be fun she tries to convince Mob during the marathon to use his, excuse me, to use his powers, like, so that, and make as big and flashy of a display as possible to finally realize that, like, by the way, your savior is here, pretty much. Which, uh, strangely enough, they're, she's kind of gonna get her wish, considering what happens at the end of this episode. Oh, yeah. yeah they're definitely gonna yeah. Uh, see him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the, the meat of this episode uh, was... was Nice to watch, though. Just seeing Mob, like, really double down on training because he wants, um, what's her face? Subomi. Subomi to, to see him win the race. And... Yeah. Like, he wanted to be in the top ten, which is a huge goal for him because before that he finished in the bottom ten of the race. The top ten without using his powers. Yeah. And then with his own physical strength, which is really cool of him and a very admirable goal, but given his track record, probably not the, mm-hmm. uh, probably not a completely reasonable one. But... It was really cool. Like, Onigawara, was one of the um, uh, Body Improvement Club members, is like, here, take these shoes. It's like, just forget about it, kid. And it's just yeah, like... It's like a really cool moment yeah, for Yeah, it, it, like, we had said pretty much in human sense, like, oh, he's so cool. <laughs> and even... And then the uh, and then the show said, wow, he's so cool. And then it's like, oh, those shoes... It's like, oh, so they gave the, he gave those shoes to you, Ma. They were a little too small for him. <laughs> Reagan had a really cool moment, too, where he's pretty much... Snapping back from the asshole he was last episode. Yeah, exactly. The episode before that. Which, yeah, he said, Mob, you don't have to come into work for a while. I'm probably not going to get any clients. Which, look at the screen. He is booked. Yeah, he was swamped. Yeah, he was booked. And also, like, normally he... 
before now he probably would have been like ah just cancel yeah exactly you got, you got important work to do but not only did he say you don't have to come into work but also he just like sat down and he's like all right we're going we're going jogging yeah it's like <laughs> and he's just basically trying to get mob like in shape he's trying to get himself in shape too where with yeah, him, he's in worse shape than mob is yeah it's been a while since i've run since i've exercised yeah. which is surprising because like there's so many times where he's just like takes people out mm, yeah i guess those people are physically weak yeah like, really physically weak because i think that i think that he doesn't have a lot of endu- that reagan might have a lot of strength just not a lot of physical endurance yeah it's probably yeah, it is definitely a, a different beast yeah exactly and then during the episode we see it's like uh well it's like I'm worried. It's like Ritsu will probably do fine, but I'm worried about Shige. Maybe we should meet him somewhere along the middle of the course rather than the uh, rather <laughs> the finish. Yeah. yeah, which I pointed out is like, well, at least they're supporting him. Like, yeah. I mean, I it's like it's, yeah, it's kind of like, well, that's kind of rude, but also it's not. It's it's to it's totally reasonable, and at the same time, it's like at the same time they turned out to be right because I'm pretty sure he passed out. Yeah, he did. He didn't even finish the, the entire race. Yeah, which is a shame because but he kind of still went home with his head held high, like mm-hmm. either way because he uh because he ran for a long time, way longer than he was expecting to. Mm-hmm. But uh he tried his best. Yeah, he he tried his absolute best and that was really cool to watch. I I'm curious to see, though, like, why Subomi hesitated during, like, when she saw him running along the track, and he's like, you can do that, but before she finished saying you can do it, she kind of stopped herself. It makes me wonder, because she saw his picture in Reagan's office, like, and it makes me wonder, was it, did it have something to do with that, or, because... No, it's it's pretty on character with how she's been interacting with him the entire series. Like, I think she has a crush on him, but she's also kind of nervous. Mm. But she doesn't want to show that she's nervous because she's, like, the cool girl mm. in school. Like, she obviously has feelings for him. I don't I don't know if they're entirely romantic. It seems like she wants to support him, but at the same time... Like, because... Remember that episode with the with the girl that were, um, where Mob got his fake girlfriend, mm-hmm. pretty much? And then she was, like, super impressed with how he... It's just like, huh, that was smooth, Mob. Mm-hmm. Like, well, uh, so, my guess is that there's going to be one of two paths. One... She's gonna end up liking him, and she's gonna ask him out or whatever. Two, she's an enemy psychic. <laughs> I I don't want her to be an enemy psychic. That would suck. Yeah. And then I was confused at first because like the opening shot was uh the opening shot of this series. I mean of this episode. Sorry, was uh was Mob tripping and falling when he was small and crying like a little baby after he skinned his leg. I didn't understand why they started with that at first until I watched it again. I was like. Okay, it actually makes a little bit of sense because he tripped and fell when he was uh, while he was running. Yeah, but he didn't stop or cry. He just kept going. Yeah, he just kept going. I thought that was a really cool like way of showing just how much he's grown as a person. That was a that was a big theme of this episode. I think just mm-hmm. how far Mob has come. But then, <laughs> oh God, Show comes back. I uh, I I forgot that character too. Like I don't really like. I remember like he, they, he was originally uh, working with Claw. I, oh, think, yeah. I think he was like he was sent from the group above Claw, mm. or by they might all be Claw. Yeah, he was sent from the higher ups to go be with this uh, smaller group. Oh, and they're like, and they just kind of told everybody like, oh yeah, he's just an underling here for. Oh, that okay. It was that one. I thought his hair looked slightly different. That's than, the same guy. Oh, okay. I I like how in that scene, like how um. Like, how everybody's, like, happy. Like, the room... Like, the living room is all bright and stuff. And then 
Reach and the music's all upbeat and stuff, but then the music slowly gets quieter and quieter and quieter as Ritsu's walking down a dark fucking hallway. Then opens the door and bam, there he is. Yep. So, my guess is that he didn't actually burn Mob's family. Uh, I'm assuming that's either an illusion or like some other people, because that would just it. That, it seems like a complete 180 from the entire tone of this show so far. Like, it's been dark sometimes, but it's But this would been... get... That would be super dark. Exactly. And, and Mob would never be able to go back to, like, being a normal high school student after yeah. this point. If, if, indeed, his parents got burned Incinerated, to a yeah. And his brother. And, and he, like... I love the... So, so like, throughout the series, he's been uh, question mark question mark question mark a few times but there's always like this build up to it yeah uh, and then and then eventually he snaps but this moment he's like happy goes home sees that the tension slowly starts to rise like but it's like immediately just snaps <laughs> it just immediately turns into whatever form that is yeah it it looks that is always terrifying whenever we see him go question mark question mark question mark because mm-hmm. something bad is almost guaranteed to happen when he does when that happened when he goes in that form god it's just such a chilling image to end on too because even dimple's like no close your eyes don't look at this (laughs) so he's gonna go kick some ass maybe kill some people i yeah he's probably gonna kill somebody like i think that's gonna be probably a moment for him where he's about to kill somebody yeah and maybe reagan has to snap him out of it again reagan or or somebody yeah because i don't imagine i don't imagine it uh, being any other way like i don't want any of mob's family to be dead and i doubt they are but because that would be a complete tonal shift like oh jesus so next up is my roommate is a cat <laughs> we got a nice little uh story about um i think half the episode was like more about like super's past yeah when he was a kid and how he used to, when he was writing that one book yeah, it's actually it's actually fascinating because like the episode starts with uh, with him struggling writing the afterword of his of his newest book, which I think is an interesting little detail because because the afterword is usually reserved for like an author basically describing themselves, their experience with writing the book and stuff like that, and it just seems like Subaru's not good at that. So it's interesting that that's what they start. Yeah, at. he's not good at interacting with the fans. Yeah, exactly. Um, it seemed. And it seems like next episode, though, is going to be, like, him, like, holding, like, a meet-and-greet sort of deal. Like, that's what the episode preview would lead you to believe. And yeah, and... Cause even then, last episode, he was considering, yeah, he you said know, maybe, maybe it might not be so bad. Exactly, yeah. Um, I think that it was, uh... I think that it was cute how Haru... Like, how Subaru was imitating Haru sleeping. Like, and that's... Yeah, because the book said, like, cats know the best place to nap. Yeah, exactly. Also, <laughs> goddamn weak-ass Japanese immune systems. Yeah, I know, right? It's like, oh, I laid down in my front room, it's and started... I got sick. Yeah. Like, those Japanese colds are freaking uh, intense, apparently. I, I, I mean, without going too much into it, I'm pretty sure it's, like, because they protect themselves from a lot more sicknesses. Mm, maybe. And, uh, and they get sick a lot less, so when they do, their body's just like, oh, God, here it comes! Yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, us dirty Americans are, are getting sick all the time when we're kids, so who cares? Yeah, no we, kidding. We're already mostly immune to those germs everywhere. Yeah, I think that it's, uh, I think that it's really cool, too, like, the, like, the whole, we finally figure out why the, uh, why the Moon and the Sun book is so important to him, is because... It was, A, first book he memorized as a child, and he liked the book so much that he wanted to write a sequel about it. Like, a sequel story to it. 
I thought that was super cool. I thought he just wrote the book. No, he didn't write The Sun and the Moon. He didn't write The Sun and the Moon book initially. Mm. He liked the... It was a book that he loved as a child, and he had initially... And he liked it so much that, A, he memorized it, and B, it's like, you know, the story needs to continue. I'm going to write it. So that was his first experience actually writing something. I think that's just a really cute little thing and a nice little motivation for him. And then uh, I... His parents are so wholesome. We get to see a little bit more about his parents, like how they were huge fans of his work, and just how happy they are for him when he finally gets published. Yeah, it's... They're not super... I mean, they're obviously... We can't tell if they're super complicated characters, so we don't know. All we know is that they were very supportive yeah. about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think, really think they need to go too much into it. I think it wouldn't be as good if they did go too much into it. Yeah. Because... Uh, I think the more ambiguous the situation is, the the better opportunities we have later on for subtle little hints. Yeah, and then on top of that, like just like they're obviously they they like his writing a lot, but they but at the same time they kind of overstep their boundaries on occasion because he gets upset when or their they, parents. When, yeah, all parents do. <laughs> he gets upset when they when they read when they read his book without his permission, and it's like it's like Dad, you read it too. It's like, well, Mom said that I should. Your mom said that I should, and well, you know. <laughs> I think it's. I think it was like a mixture of upset and happiness and embarrassment. Yeah, exactly. A lot of comp because like he kind of was considering it while he was getting ready to go to sleep, and then he gets ready to uh, write some more of that story, and I think that's when he figures out that he's getting published, mm-hmm. which I think is a really cool little uh, a really cool little moment, and then. Next half of the episode was uh, Haru basically experiencing, like, him getting sick and stuff like that. First of all, Kawase really is, like, that mom friend that yeah, everybody much. has. Yeah, dead mother. Yeah, exactly. Every, like, every group of friends has one, but uh, Kawase is that mom friend. He's like, oh, you need this and this and this and this. I'm going to make some uh, rice gruel so that you can eat it and while you're, so that it's easy for you when you're sick. I, I love seeing Haru's, like... Guard dog. Just, guard, guard cat. Yeah. Just like sitting on his yeah. chest, just staring at you him. stay here. I will protect you, human. Yeah, I will protect you. <laughs> the, uh... I like how, um, when he's like kind of reflecting as he's getting ready to go to sleep again, it's like, this house used to be so empty before, but now it's... But now things have changed so much. Like, you see, like, the colors kind of go from, like, a sort of muted to, like, kind of more vibrant and bright, and then you see, like, empty spaces, like his, uh... Like, his living room only had, like, the one uh, pillow for him to sit on. Like, there was a bunch of them in there. And then, like, in his kitchen, which was, like, kind of empty and dull, all of a sudden, it's just got uh, Kawase and uh, Hirato in there. Yeah, it's a good kind of representation of how he's he's slowly been coming more and more out of his shell ever since he's taken Haru in. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just a really nice little um, element of visual storytelling. And then, The music is pretty good, too. Yeah, the music is good. And then... <laughs> Haru, Haru, like, like most of these episodes are just, like, the adventures of Haru, pretty much. Well, it's like half the episodes. Yeah, half the episodes, or even, like, a quarter of the episode is just the adventures of Haru. Hers, like, this adventure was trying to get food. The good stuff. That's the good stuff. Yeah, that's the good stuff. I, I love her uh, anger at the can. It's like, how how the hell do I get this food? How, how do I get it? I, I know you're in there. Give me it. <laughs> give me it. And then... Uh, and then, like, an, a can gets caught on her head, and she's all panicking, like, what is this? What am oh, I... Oh, <laughs> yeah. That was very, that was very cat. Very yeah. real cat thing to do. Yeah, like, and then just because she panics, her claws get stuck on her, get stuck on the rug, and then that's what causes Hiroto to trip. And I like how when uh, he was calling, when how when Subaru was calling for her, 
like, and she looks his way, she can kind of tell that something's wrong because, like, he looks and his eyes are all glassy and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, what, what's the matter? Did you have a bad mm-hmm. dream or something? I guess the food can wait. Yeah. <laughs> just like, I'll come to you. Wait, what are you doing? Because <laughs> jump on his face and then proceed to kick him in the well, face. Well, I, I assume that she uh, didn't expect to land on his head because yeah. he, like, wob- wobbled around a little bit because yeah. he's sick. Again, knocked him the fuck out. Yeah, except not really. <laughs> he just like kind of kicked him and he fell over. But then he fell. But then he actually like collapsed because uh, he was sick. And then Haru going and it's like, don't worry, he won't have any bad dreams anymore. I'll make sure of that. Just guard cat Haru is so adorable. Mm-hmm. So next up, Price of Smiles. This Kirk. episode. Now machines. <laughs> All right. This episode really should have been split into two parts. Like, we should have had, like, it seems like the biggest problem with this episode is they had a lot of really cool ideas, but they didn't space any of them out here. Like, this episode should have focused more on Layla's backstory and, like, her, like, background as, like, a Krars researcher and stuff like that. The next episode should have focused more on Harold and his guilt and stuff like that. I felt like yeah. I feel like that really would have been a lot more effective. Yeah, like they tried to front load like too like too many plot elements into this one episode, and it just yeah, it made it it made it hard to really care about either of them as much. Yeah, it also like, the nano machines are very dumb. <laughs> I think the nano machines could have been fine had they been implemented better. Yeah, but, yeah, it, it's but, it was just kind of thrown in there though. Like it, we would have had to. Learn about them a lot more early on, slowly it's, over the course of the they, series. Like the idea behind them, kind of reminds me a little bit of the uh, of the Blastia from Tales of Vesperia. Yeah, just atmospheric stuff. Yeah, it just and it's like oh, it kind of changes things, and it's like it, like by harnessing this energy, it's able to make the um, uh, it's able to like make the lives of humans easier. However, that comes at a cost when people overuse that energy. Again, really cool idea, and like. And had they actually, like, kind of explored it a little bit, kind of gradually revealed about the nanomachine's existence, it would have been, it would have been fine. Like, I would have been, but here I'm just like, what, really? Nanomachines? Maybe had moments where you had, like, really nanomachine-dense areas, Mm. and, like, the characters were suddenly realizing, oh, wow, my robot is working better than it normally does. What's happening? Yeah, it just, it just kind of felt, like, really out of left field. It felt like a MacGuffin. Yeah, exactly. Out of nowhere. Like... Again, I would have much appreciated it had they gradually built up to this point and mm-hmm. like and like showed Layla researching it and stuff like that because that's the other big thing. She keeps talking about like her experiments and stuff like that. For one thing, 3 months have passed like just in the span of this one episode, which I don't mind like time skips in the show because like if they showed like every element of the war, it would get very boring. Yeah. Like like I'm okay with them doing like time like time skips, but like, not really in the same episode. you got to pace this stuff out. <laughs> yeah, or else you end up like Carter Carter Circus. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, that was the, that was the biggest problem I had with this episode. Like, conceptually, stuff behind it was all pretty interesting. Good ideas for execution. Yeah, exactly. Like, the... this was just an average episode. It's not, I'd say that overall this series has, has done, has done well, but there have just been a couple stumbles here and there. Mm-hmm. It's a far uh... from perfect series, but I'm still enjoying it. Yeah, Harold's death, uh, I felt... It, so in comparison to Izana's death, I think it was not good at all. Yeah. Because Izana, there was a lot of motivation about, like, he... Because the whole, like, he was going to escape. But then, then he, he decided, decided not to. Yeah. And then he decided the data was more important than his life. So I was like, oh, I, I, I can empathize with that. Like, he wants to save his country and his family. And 
with Harold, I can sort of I can sort of empathize with it because Izana was the one thing kind of hold was the one thing kind of holding him back from being a completely vengeful person. Like, and Izana's death sort of made him is what made him really kind of go over the edge. I think. Yeah, but but it all happened. Like but it all, said, it happened the, way too quick. Yeah, it happened in the course of like one episode. Where like if we had spent a little bit more time with Harold, kind of reflecting to himself and like how guilty he how guilty he feels now, like it kind of. Ex- like exploring a little bit of his and Izana's relationship growing up and stuff like that, like when Yuki was still just a little baby, that would have been fine. I would have liked that. I would have liked to see more of this. This could have benefited just by being its own episode, mm-hmm. but like because that's enough. That's enough information to cover an entire episode. Now there was a nice little. Uh, there was a nice little moment. Like we start off the episode with the "I give you now the royal," br- kind of "I give you now the royal blessing," like to Ciel. Which I thought was fine, and then it was a nice little uh, full circle moment at the end when uh, when Yuki was just a baby, and the king's like, "Okay, it's time for you to give you to give you her bless you got her your guys's blessing," and Izana starts the blessing like, "May your life, may your life," and then it pauses, and then it cuts to the future or the present, I guess, and Harold is the one that finishes the blessing, which is a nice little moment, but. I would have been a lot more attached to these circumstances had they had this been its own episode. Yeah, I didn't really feel Harold's death that much. Like I can sympathize with it, and I, I, and I can understand, and I can understand what, like, the, what they were going for. They just didn't appropriate time to yeah. it. Uh, good, good parts is that it was a pretty cool fight scene. Yeah, when Harold charged in. Uh, I mean, it's more of like, well, these are made out of paper. If you're not a main character. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was just still cool to watch, and, and then also uh, just that final the cut where they had Harold um, firing his machine gun at the mech, but and then the other mech firing a slightly stronger machine gun. Yeah. at him, uh, it just turned out that the the reason he lost was because his armor was weaker and their gun was stronger. Or yeah, whatever. something like that. It, it was a cool little cut. Yeah, and then uh, Yuki crying before eventually saying what Harold told her, we don't have time to stand still. Like, yeah, Yuki's progress, I think, is the one thing that's been the most consistent throughout the series. Yeah, and it's been it's been nice to see her slowly growing because, like, because I think she's starting to realize now that her ideals, like... They're good in theory, but they just aren't necessarily the most practical. It's like that's what she strives to do, but she wants to, but she wants to try and go a little bit more realistically about it. This point forward, yeah, I think that's ultimately what they're going about. I'm, I'm kind of curious, like when Layla's going to die because it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, maybe it, it's gonna happen. It, the the problem I think uh, now I think about it more from Yuki's perspective about Harold's death is that. I think his death was written more along the lines to help Yuki's character grow and yeah. less along the lines of... Of making it actually feel like an important... Yeah. It, it, it wasn't about Harold. It didn't feel like... Which is a shame because, once again, had they kind of emphasized more on... Uh, had they emphasized more on his guilt towards Izana's death, like, as even, like, the lines, like, what happened to Izana wasn't entirely your fault. Don't beat yourself too much about it. Like had they it had they kind of explored that theme of guilt of survivor's guilt and stuff like that, that would have been a very effective way for him to die. Yeah. But so three more episodes. I'm I'm a little worried that they're not going to be able to catch themselves. I and, and stick the landing for the series because yeah. they're adding a lot of stuff near the end. Yeah, I I hope it doesn't. I don't think it'll be completely like Darling in the Franks, but uh, 
But I don't well, know. Darling and the Franks didn't stumble. It just fucking took a dive off a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it stu- No, it stumbled in the um, uh, in the flashback episode. That was when it was first stumble. The rest of it was just, let's barrel down the hill. <laughs> Might as well, right? But So next up is The Promised Neverland. A.K.A. Good fucking lord. Yeah. Uh, this is... I might end up. This show might be a ten for me. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm much in agreement. I'm very stingy when it comes to tens, but this very well could be like a perfect ten for me this like season. Perfect suspense, like so good. Like, oh my god! The uh, for starters, we find out what was finally on the uh, the piece of paper that Mama handed Crone. It was a recommendation to be a Mama at Plant Four, mm-hmm. which yeah, that was too good to be true. Yeah, so what, what I think happened is that, yes, they did plan to have her transferred, but it was kind of a if situation. They were testing her. Yeah, so so if she went out to the gate, met with Grandma, and was like, okay, I'll go off peacefully, peacefully and not say anything, then they probably would have transferred her and let her live. Mm-hmm. But eh, she didn't. She tried to get, she tried to throw Obama under the bus. Which, it turns, again, we keep saying, like, I've said, like, last few weeks this is like a really intense cat and mouse game where you're never quite sure who the cat is who the mouse is and there are multiple cats uh yeah finding out that grandma and finding out that grandma and mama are actually working together for one thing is creepy enough the fact that she sees isabella as a pawn is an even scarier thing and it's just like good lord where the mind games end here yeah how high does the ladder go yeah exactly Oh god, it's so it's so unsettling. And the whole scene with Crone like getting killed was probably one of the most unsettling four yeah. minute like four minutes. I timed it. It's about four minutes. <laughs> it's the most unsettling four minutes ever in a series. It, it was such a yeah, it was such an uncomfortable scene and also such a good way of kinda giving us more information about like this world. And not just that, but about Crone herself. Because yeah. they because they interspersed like cuts of her like kind of trying to defend herself against this monster and then Where cut, you knew she wasn't gonna stand a chance. She was yeah. just waving a knife around. And yeah, then, and then and then and then kind of interspersing cuts of her like as she was like when she became a like when she became a sister and then when she started training and how like she kept trying to improve herself and how eventually she became like top of her class and stuff like that just because of sheer determination that was all really cool that's how you handle flashbacks well mm-hmm. that is also how you handle like it reminds me of like the opening 6 minutes of up where it's all where it's all like visual storytelling no dialogue just yeah. music and it's exactly it's, and the music definitely made this even more uncomfortable cuz it was like calm classical music exactly for starters, they also, they start with, the the whole sequence starts with, thank you for the food. That takes a darker turn. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah thank you for <laughs> the food. About that. Yeah, thank you for the food, and then, and then thanks for the, and then that was delicious. That was, those, that's where the scene begins, and the scene ends. <laughs> it's... And yeah, she gets ugh. turned into food. Yeah, she gets turned into food. Like, they plant a flower in her chest, the same thing they did with Connie. I don't know entirely what that's about. Yeah, I'm not sure if like they eat the flower, maybe, mm. or or they eat the the person. I I don't know. I thought it was their brains, but I'm not at this point. I'm not entirely sure. There's still like enough ambiguity about the monsters that they're still fucking terrifying. Yeah, I think it's also interesting how uh, how Crone like decided that she was basically going to give the the kids a parting gift, like the 
because her she, last act of defiance. Like she knew that she was probably going to die. Like, uh, and she hit a box in like a, I want to say probably Norman's or Ray's or even Emma's uh, like bedside table. Yeah, I it's I don't think it was. I think it was maybe partly she wanted the kids to get out, but I think most of it was she just wanted to spite Mama. Yeah. One last time. Yeah, I think probably, like, you brats better escape. Because she could have gotten... She she had the offer to go to another plant and be a Mama, but she prioritized taking that woman down first because she's like, well, she can't be better than me. I have to prove her that I'm, I'm the smarter one or whatever. Yeah, she... I think that... Uh, I think that it's interesting. And then on top of that, like... Apparently, kids knowing the secret is nothing new because it's something because grandma had pointed out that's something that's been going on ever since she was a mama. Yeah, like, I think it's specifically just her. Hmm. I don't think it's a normal thing everywhere. Hmm. I think it's like one thing, it's like grandma's specific method because hmm. she probably thinks, like, on one side, she wants the kids to live a happy life, on the other side, and this is probably something that's been shared with. Like Mama, the, yeah, the Isab- the AKA person. Isabella. Yeah, the uh, it does make me wonder. It does make me wonder though, like what exactly is like because we see like a brief flash of like Isabella um, when she was still a child, getting ready to go over the fence, and then uh, and then Grandma like trying to beckon her back, and basically her philosophy is doesn't matter if the kids know as long as they can be controlled. Yeah, which is fascinating. It's just. What, like, what exactly is her goal? Like, the fact that we never see the top half of her face and just see her creepy-ass smile, like, really, like, drives her, the suspense on this, like, home. And I think that it is downright terrifying that, uh, that Ray knows that his plan is doomed. As soon as Mama just says one thing, I eliminated Sister Crone. At that point, Ray is just like, Oh shit! Yeah, that like he basically realizes the plan is fucked. At yeah, that point. we got a lot of masks taken off in this episode. Yeah, uh, it was really fascinating seeing uh, Mama's true. Yeah, this is the first. Face. Yeah, this is the first time. I've, like I've lived with you, people. I've lived with you, children, for ten years, and this is the first time I'm talking to you without the acting. Yeah, I don't think that any of that was. Uh, a lie what she said when she was like i i just want you kids i really do love all you kids i just want you to grow up and have a happy life like isn't that nice yeah you'll never have to worry about hunger fear or anything yeah like just i want you to live your happiest life and basically she wants them to live a happy lie pretty much Mm -hmm. it's pretty much just like a a farmer with livestock yeah or at least a, a farmer that wants the cows to have a happy life exactly and then uh I think that it's, uh, I think that it's really unsettling when, uh, when Mama says the five of you can live happy because like you see like their face kind of go shocked for a second because it's like, wait, did you say five? Yeah. She knew all along that, uh, that Don and Gilda were in on exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah. And then they kind of look at each other shocked and then they just go solemn and sad. Like they realize it's like, shit, like we really were, we really didn't have a chance, did we? But then... Emma still tries uh, to be defiant in one of the most uncomfortable moments. And the other moment being the Sister Crone bit, this was, oh god, oh it was yeah, unpleasant. Just, just, you hear that, this, that bone crunching noise, yeah. She and breaks Emma's leg. The, the delay 
the delay, like, between Emma, like, being, like, kind of realizing what had happened and her actually screaming in pain was also really realistic. Because I've broken, a bo- I've broken bones before, like, and at first you don't realize that your arms are broken. <laughs> like, I just realized, and then it kind of takes a second for that pain to finally register the whole thing, and it's just like a quick oh. delay. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's... And so that delay, like, in her screaming was visceral. So props to the voice actor, for one thing, because it was realistic sounding, but then also just the delay. Like, props to the director for actually not having her instantly scream in pain. Yeah. It just added way more to the uh, to that scene. Uh, and, and there's so much weight behind having her leg broken for, for everyone, because uh, Norman, his main goal is to make Emma happy and help Emma escape. And, like, as soon as he saw that she had her leg broken, he stopped. He immediately stopped and realized that, well, there's no point in trying to go do this now. Yeah. Because now it's going to be almost impossible to get her out of here because her leg's broken now. Yeah. The, uh, and then on top of that, like, Dawn, Gilda, and Ray see that her leg is also broken. And they realize that, yeah, they're fucked. All five of them are fucked. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then also... Mama says something very interesting. She basically says, you're a special meal that only a special one can eat. So there's somebody, like, up at the top who is only allowed to eat the ma- the top three scorers. The the best pieces of livestock she's ever raised, pretty much. Yeah. So it makes me wonder who that special... And the fact they capitalized one in the subtitles makes me think, okay, that's important. And, and then uh, Norman, was he shipped out like the next day that yeah, was supposed to happen? Yeah, your shipment date has been set. And then there's a little bit more like, uh, like it's been a popular like kind of meme that uh, that Phil might be one of the most intelligent people in the freaking series. Like, despite being such a young kid, because when all the kids are looking at, at Emma and realizing that her leg is broken or something, kind of wondering what happened. Phil's kind of looking around, like he's noticing something that that the other kids aren't, and that we, the audience, are not. So I'm kind of curious what that was all about. Phil is the trump card. Yeah, maybe. Who he's knows? He's gonna be the one that saves the day. Yeah, the the mind games in the show just keep getting better and better. Like I will not hesitate to watch another season of this show when they produce it, yeah. because I'm pretty sure the manga is in its final arc at this point. So the series will be concluding soon. I'm fascinated to see where this goes based on how popular the show is i would not be surprised at all if it gets another yeah cloverworks holy shit you've outdone yourselves here next up the quintessential quintuplets aka jesus raiha fix your fucking hair i cannot stand raiha's hair oh yeah it it it, how it's like a chicken feather or something yeah like what the fuck is that how much product does she use to make it not go down it's like, like it's like that scene from something about mary you, you ever seen that stop bringing up movies they're a fucking scene damn it really you've never seen no, that i haven't <laughs> okay you need to watch that movie but anyway there's a very if you guys have seen something about mary you know which scene i'm talking about anywho this is an episode it's like i'm thinking to myself okay of course we're dealing with that trope now the the main character, the main boy, knows the main girl knows a girl from his past, but he doesn't know who that girl yeah. is. So it's a childhood promise. How many times have we seen that in Harem? Uh, I can think of at least two. I'm sure there's more. It's so annoying how in the end he's like, "Oh boy, I hope I meet this girl again." I'm yeah. just like, 
How is it not fucking obvious? Yeah. Like, alright. I can understand, like, the girl, like, the girl's not necessarily recognizing him because, like, he, he looks very different than he did before. Mm-hmm. Like, because it's revealed that, yeah, he was kind of a delinquent when he yeah, was Yeah, I loved uh, Nino's bit at the end. He's like, wow, she, he's super hot. Yeah, exactly. He's like, uh, he is ten. Yeah. And uh, you are now a pedophile for thinking that. She's probably imagining him as in, like as he's gotten older, because she's... Officer. Prob- yeah. Officer. I, just, I have all these pictures, but I'm thinking about them if they were older. Okay. It's the, uh... But at the same time, like, I'm worried that they're using this trope again, but at the same time, the series has done a pretty good job of being familiar with the tropes mm-hmm. of Harem series, and figuring out how to cleverly subvert them in some way. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of silly. I'm not really upset about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not upset about it either. Like, I'm curious, like, in fact, I'm actually kind of intrigued. I'm like, I just kind of went, okay, we're, dealing, we're doing this now, but... But the most important part of the episode is... Choo-choo! Pulling into Station 4, and we're sticking around. <laughs> Fucking the whole, the whole Yotsuba bit. Yotsuba is... Yotsuba trying, like, lying. Yeah, uh... He has a, he has a disease, he's been stricken with a great <laughs> illness where if he moves, he'll die. Yeah, I, I loved how, uh... She was so bad at lying with the moment she says, like, something truthful... That she actually means. She's like beaming and he's like, oh, she really means that. Yeah. Uh, but the the shot where she's like leaning over his head was like, that was super well done. Like, yeah. wise. Yeah. Like, it was such a, such a cool looking picture of her uh, with this mischievous smile on her face. Yeah, just he. I can lie sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that, I'm, which makes me wonder, was she actually lying or was she, be, was she just playing with him? I don't know. It's it's a harem anime. Like I could, yeah. So, and, but also they subvert tropes. So maybe she wasn't lying, but maybe she actually was. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, I want to point out that the girl, the little girl in the picture, has the same uh, hair like parting thing mm. as Miku. Mm. She has like one strand of hair in her face, mm. and Miku's like the only person who has that. Maybe like. I don't know. Like they showed a picture of all five, like of all five of them at the end, and they pretty sure they looked exactly the same when they were younger. I'm almost positive that it's the that Miku's the only one person who had that one like that specific hair pattern. Maybe, but I'll have to go go back and double check that. But I'm not. But I'm not entirely sure. Like I think that it that they all looked the same, and only as they've gotten older did their appearances sort of start to differ. And I think that's in, and I think that's kind of interesting. I think that it's also hilarious, like, uh, like, Chi- like Ichiko is, tells, uh, Futuro, it's like, alright, so from this point forward, if I ever have to do shoots and stuff, I want to exchange my email address with you so I can tell you <laughs> this stuff ahead of time. Now, Chiko once, or Ichiko once again playing kind of wingmanny, like, <laughs> like, you better be, you better be absolutely sure that you get the email addresses of the other girls or I'm going or I'm going to spread this picture of you sleeping. <laughs> I was sleeping on her lap. Yeah, exactly. Like in just her like mischievous little bye. Like and fetch quest start. The way that uh like Miku's uh, Miku obviously gives up her email address, like no problems. Yotsuba gets ready to give up her address. Once again, no problem. The only people that she has he has a hard time with are uh, are Itsuki and Nino, who of course, are going to be problematic. 
Yeah, but the way he convinces yeah. them is out is downright hilarious. I love the uh, if you using do, his little sister as a pawn. If you do, yeah. If you if you get my email address, I'll set, I'll throw in Raiha's address for free. But then Nino's like, how? It's like how scummy can you be? You're using your sister as bait. It's like, well, okay, fine. Well, we'll just we'll just all chat without you. How does that make you feel, oh, Nino? Like gossip. Yeah, and then <laughs> of course that makes her just go, give me something to write with. Well, they also didn't get uh, Yosubas. Well, because she ran off. Yeah, and it's kind of a nice little scene. Yeah, I think it's actually kind of hilarious that uh, that Yosuba's little um, uh, either her white lie or just kind of playing with him, like kind of makes the uh, like and him like being like distrustful of her the whole episode was actually kind of hilarious and a pretty smart way to handle a joke because like the whole time he's doubting like her intentions because mm-hmm. of. What she had done to him—it's like the I fucking Ojo Sama laugh. Yeah, I, I can't trust. Any, <laughs> I just can't trust anyone anymore. <laughs> yeah, but it was—it was a really heartwarming moment at the end where when she's like, "Oh, I can't, I can't be part of the basketball team because I have, you know, someone's helping me, even though I, I suck. Yeah, even though I have no talent, even though I've got no talent, I, I think that it's, and I think that it's really cool. Like it's a it's a little detail. I don't know if you noticed this. Like they're getting ready to do the uh, the school camp. I don't know entirely what that's all about, but uh, like Futuro is part of the test of is going to be part of the test of courage. So he's gonna be the only person doing it. And yeah, and he's preparing, and he's just like wearing the mask <laughs> every time he puts on the mask and wig. He makes Yotsuba freak out because she's fucking stupid. She's like a dog. Yeah. Like with a really. Where'd you go? It's like, huh? Where'd you go? But it, like when she screams the first time, like her uh, her tongue is shaped like her ribbon. Mm-hmm. I didn't like. I didn't notice that the first time. I'm like, oh, that's a kind of clever little detail. Uh, another little clever detail about Yotsuba, like her symbol is a four leaf clover. Mm-hmm. For I didn't think, didn't put that together until now. Actually, it was, uh, have you heard of the manga Yotsuba? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's. Uh, it's from the same person that made Nichijou, isn't it? Or no, or mm-hmm. Azumanga Daio. Uh, I think so. I think it's yeah. Azumanga Daio. Yeah. So next up is the Rising of the Shield Hero. Another kind of disappointing episode. This the week. setup for it was pretty cool. the uh, The biggest problem, the biggest problem I had with it is they inter- like it's like oh we're finally going to see what the curse series is all about. That was an interesting setup. They really should have dedicated more time to building up the curse series. Like we'd seen like glimpses of it before, and I think the my biggest problem with this episode is that oh this is basically like an almost like a huge world-shattering realization, or at least personal. Like, or the circumstances are so personal for Naofumi, but there are almost little to no consequences, really, this episode. Like, nobody's really particularly okay. worse for wear. Well, Raftalia is in danger because of the curse. Yeah. That, the curse that dripped on her, or whatever. But the the main thing about his his curse shield thing is he's just like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, things are getting better, and I, I, I got people to trust me and stuff, and then, like, something bad happens. He's just like, everything sucks! I fucking hate this world! Everyone should die! Yeah. It's like, that doesn't feel organic, really. Like, it had been it had been one thing if one of them had actually gotten, like, pretty heavily wounded or something. Like, Which, but Philo... To, to, in their defense, he thought Philo died in that moment, I guess. Yeah, but at the same time, it just felt kind of... It did felt really rushed. Yeah, and it, all, it felt even cheaper after we learned the fact that Philo was not only did she not die, she was fine. fine. Like that, that, that's fine that she didn't die, 
but it was really fucking dumb where they're like, oh, no, I wasn't blood. That was the berries I was eating. It was like, oh, God, it's so, that was so fucking stupid. I, and I just, we looked at each other and I was like, really? That's what, it's like, really? That was, that's what we did? Okay. Yeah, it just, it wasn't bad. It just felt like a very mediocre episode. Yeah. Like, the actual, like, the actual setup for the curse shield was cool. Like, the voice, like, the voice distortion, the imagery and stuff. Mm-hmm. That was all pretty badass. Like, that, and, like, actually figuring out that the, that the shield hero actually has offensive capabilities. That's fucking terrifying. Yeah, I liked how it just pretty much, like, overwritten every, it overwrote every single, like, ability he had. And it was just like, everything is cursed now. Exactly. Uh, but there was, like, that flashback of, like... Remember all these good times we've had with Philo, and I love her so much, and I, I I should definitely be having a flashback right now. Yeah, it's like I feel it's like I feels like we should be having a moment, and they even point out in the episode, it's like I've made so many memories of this carriage. It's like yeah, and your one month that you've been alive. I like that line. Yeah, uh, it's like I I've I've made a lifetime of memories with this carriage. It's like yeah, it's but funny. but they just kind of point out that it's like they've really only known each other for a month. Like, mm-hmm. and sure, he raised her, but still, it's been a month. I, I, I could see I could see it more along the lines of if Nafumi got hurt, uh, of Philo getting upset, mm-hmm. because that's, she's, he's been there for her entire life. Yeah. Uh, like, the curse, like, the curse shield should have also done something to him, I think. Like, yeah. Like, I don't know. I Well, I don't know. I think the danger of it is hurting other people. Mm, that's, maybe. that's the hazard. Yeah. It's kind of reinforcing more along the lines of S.H.I.E.L.D. Hero is supposed to be, you know, at least in this situation, the S.H.I.E.L.D. Hero is supposed to be, like, by himself and nobody likes him and stuff like that. Yeah. The S.H.I.E.L.D. Hero kind of serves to reinforce that plot point. Yeah. I, the, the Cursed S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think they, but yeah, like, the, you brought up an interesting way that they'd kind of done this before in Naruto, right? Yeah, back in the original Naruto, the, there this fight with uh, Naruto and Sasuke versus Haku, an ice person. And there was a lot more weight to Naruto going "quote unquote" rage mode yeah. in that situation. Uh, it just felt a lot more organic in this situation. It just felt like eh, pfft, here it is. Yeah, like there. I don't. It was just kind of kind of clumsily handled. Yeah, like here. sure, we saw it before in the arena when uh, I, I liked that situation a lot more when when it kind of started to show up for the first time. Yeah, like the curse, like curse, the curse series has now been unlocked. Yeah, that was yeah. cool. It's just, it's just this one in particular didn't feel good. Uh, that being said, though, I'm definitely willing to give this show the benefit of the doubt that this was just a small stumble. Yeah. Because I've absolutely loved everything else so far about this series. Yes. Yeah. I think that, uh, yeah, I think that just the biggest problem I have with this episode, like I said before, is just that it has kind of very minimal consequences. Like, it doesn't really feel like nothing. Particular well, the consequences might be pretty big. Maybe you know we don't really know how much in the, the short term. It's, in the short term, it's just like oh, everything's fine. Like Philo's not hurt. Raftalia is hurt, but I'm pretty sure that he's going to be able to heal it no problem because we've already established we've already established a couple things. One, the holy water is used to purify the curse in her body. Now Fumi has the ability to enhance potions and shit of that nature, so I'm pretty sure that's going to eventually just become a moot point. I don't know. I think it's a race against time at the moment. It's probably going to become more of a uh, immediate danger next episode. Yeah, I don't know. I I hope that this is just a stumble, but for now, it's just it was a little bit of a disappointing for 
uh, reveal for a plot point that I was kind of expecting. Uh, they kill, they're continuing kind of along the trend of Shield Hero having to clean up everybody else's mess. Yeah. Because uh, first he had to clean up the Spear Hero's mess, and now the Sword Hero yeah. made a mess. Which, in his defense, I don't think he... Had, like I wouldn't have guessed that would have happened. Yeah. I would have guessed after I killed the dragon, it was done. That was all I had to do. The dragon was dead. Yeah, I mean... This now, Fumi had pointed out it's like, well, he probably gave him the benefit of the doubt. It's like, well, he's probably convinced this is more like a game, so he had never really given it much thought. Interesting to note that the dragon, the zombie dragon, rather, was level question mark question mark, like, and that's why at first, and now Fumi hesitated. Like, no, we got to get out of here. This thing is dangerous. Mm -hmm. So last up, run with the wind. So we get. We actually go through a few people sections this episode. Yeah. And none I, of it feels cheap. Yeah, I thought the... I, I kind of expected the race to go by a little faster. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not upset at all that it's not going by. Uh, we're getting a lot of payoff and a really fascinating, like, introspective on the, all the runners. I think it's yeah. going to happen. So we got three this episode. And, uh, see, there's, uh, ten? Yeah, there's ten people running on the Hakone. Uh, so probably the, probably the race will probably be another two episodes, I'm assuming. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was really nice seeing like Prince's motivation and Moose's motivation and and Jota's like conflict. Yeah, yeah, that was that was all really cool. Like Prince's motive, like Prince's motivation, just kind of like realizing like I don't. It's like I don't want to be treated with kindness. Like I don't want that from you. It's like because as much as I like sports hero, as much as I like sports uh, series protagonists, I like the people that push them even more. Which is, that's exactly what he wanted from Heidi. Yeah. Like, I don't want people to be kind. It's like, I don't want you to be kind to me. Like, I want to be pushed. As much as I hate this, I want to be yeah, pushed. I, I Yeah, I love how even when he's running, it's just like, I fucking hate running. But yeah. but he's what he said, like, I would have hated myself even more if I didn't do this. Yeah. And then I think that it was, I think that it was really just a, like a nice, a nice, pretty overwhelming moment, actually, when Prince finally crosses the finish line and hands off the sash. He just collapses, and, like, he just looks completely overwhelmed. Not just physically, just, like, mentally, and just, like, he's just so, like, kind of happy with himself, like, that he managed... He even just, like, his little, I passed. Yeah, because Heiji's was... Heiji's thing was, like, you don't have to come in first place, just keep up with everyone. Yeah. And, and he did. He was, yeah. like, a little behind, but he managed to keep up with everyone in the first thing, which is uh, pretty impressive, seeing how he started. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he did everything like to like kind of conserve his stamina, like running behind somebody and stuff like that. Like not and just following Hygie's advice, pretty much. Which mm. <laughs> I like his little remark. It's just what is he a prophet? Um, and how he? It's like everybody's probably going to like pick up the pace at some point. Don't panic. Just conserve your energy where you can and just keep running. Like just keep running at your own pace. Which was yeah. Which is a really nice little bit. And then. Uh, Musa's Musa's big deal, like kind of like they were worried the whole time, like oh he's probably going to exhaust himself. He's averaging at under three minutes a a kilometer. He's probably going to burn himself out just based on what we've seen of him. But he proves them wrong because he actually like managed to pass seven people, like back judging from where Prince was. Yeah, it was a uh, and it, it, it there's more conflict of him thinking like, well you know I'm I'm in a I mean, I'm African, mm -hmm. so there's like the expectation of I should be able to run fast, just like all my other, yeah, all the other African people that are running the exchange students, yeah, like Iwanki and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then Musa, like, just feeling like the pressure because, like, the whole uh, 
because like his, the section he's running is known as the section of aces. And, yeah, like, he yeah, knows yeah. that he's and he knows that he just for a fact he's not the fastest runner on the team. So he's just under the pressure of that expectation. But the ex- the exact reason Haiji picked him is because he can run run calmly and without and without fail. Which yeah, he's like the most he's the most consistent yeah. runner on the team. And I think uh, Kakadu also said along the lines of like he's the strongest runner. Yeah, yeah, I. His exact line was, "I run calmly, bravely, and without fail." And him passing off the him passing off the satch to uh, Jota was super satisfying. Like the kind of like little tears in his eyes when he just goes up to hug King. Yeah, he's... So also, I'm not sure if uh, if Musa just is really good friends with um, with Shindo with Shindo, or he like has a crush on him. Yeah, that's in, it's yeah. kind of ambiguous. Yeah, these here that's probably that is probably ship bait for sure. Which but, I mean like I wouldn't have a problem with either way. Yeah, exactly. I'm just I am pointing out that it, there is definitely some ship bait sure. between those no, two. That's any show really. It's a, yeah, especially sports series. Yeah. <laughs> especially sports I mean, series. I think people have made Hekia, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that uh, that Jota's actually was a really was a really nice uh, moment too because like yeah, his, it, was a, it was a really good perspective as as a a watcher of this whole series because like we've been like oh they're like the same person yeah like, throughout the entire series but, That's how the but Jota but Jota knows like deep down they're not the same person like he's been the one that's been paying most attention to his younger brother yeah. like he's acknowledged that ever since they were young they did they played together they ate together. They they intentionally threw people off. Yeah, they they just were they did everything together. So people were just eventually convinced they were pretty much the same person. But deep down, but deep down, as the older brother Jota knew that they were different people, and eventually they'd have to go and part ways. Like, and that was that was actually a really interesting moment. Just like the whole, or really kind of bittersweet moment when he's like. It's time for me to release that precious part of my soul. Like, yeah, because because they're when you're together with like the same person like your entire life, mm-hmm. you, it probably feels pretty hard to actually let go of that. Uh, yeah. I don't think Joe uh, or Jota is going to come back to run next year. No, he's pretty much confirmed as much. He's yeah. just he looks at Joe because he realizes that with uh, with Joji, Joji actually has a talent for him, actually wants to improve, and actually mm-hmm. wants to get better. He has aspirations, kind of. More outside of the sort of shallow, shallow aspirations that uh, Joji had. Yeah, it was. Uh, I I'm really excited for the next few episodes, just seeing the introspectives of the different runners and yeah, what and everybody else's... Ru- what running ultimately means to them. And Shindo's super sick. Oh God, I I think the the, the title of the next episode was episode was like "Run Till I Break." Even if I break, yeah. yeah. I which oh God, I'm not looking forward to that. Like the episode preview for that looked really unnerving because mm-hmm. it looked like Shindo wasn't even running like he was just kind of stopped at one point exactly yeah so it makes me wonder if he's even going to be able to finish the race which is a big deal because if he can't then nobody else can exactly it's it's super unfortunate like i i wasn't ex- i like i said before i wasn't expecting shindo to get sick yeah like i was just, leg to be the thing yeah so yeah we're going to finally see more of that i'm I'm super nervous for these boys. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm very worried for them. Also, the biggest realization, I think Hana likes oh, me! Oh, yeah! <laughs> I almost forgot about that part. Yeah. That's kind of a bomb to fucking drop right before you hand the sash off to someone else. Like, yeah. 
It's like, thanks. It's like, thanks a lot, Jota. Uh, yeah, just save it for after the race. It's like, what? Like, I, I, that's going to be really interesting because I'm not sure if they both like her yeah. or, or not. Um, I, I Based off that reaction I saw from Joji is that I think he's probably just going to be like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm supporting you. But uh, there's also like maybe they both like her. So there's going to be conflict there. And going back to when Hana and, uh, and the two brothers were in the park. Yeah. And she was kind of cheering them up and then she cried a little bit. Uh, I think she likes one of them, mm-hmm. but she's worried that by picking one of them, the other one's going to be really sad. Yeah. And she's such a nice girl, so she doesn't want to do that. Yeah. She doesn't hurt yeah. them. Exactly. I think, like, it does make me wonder if uh, it is, in fact, Jota. Like, because he showed, because she showed up specifically at the end of his section. Exactly, yeah. She so. did that instead of anyone else. Yeah, exactly. So, it makes, it does make me wonder, and definitely lends a little bit to the idea that, yeah, he... She probably likes Jota, mm-hmm. but is going to be upset that she has to let down Joji as a result. So that's going to wrap it up for week nine of winter 2019. Yep. It's been a it's been a mostly good week. Promise Neverland continues to be an amazing yeah. show. A couple, a couple low points. A couple uh, stumbles. Later this week, we're going to be releasing our spring 2019 preview for all the new shows that are going to be coming out. We're going to... Uh, pick up a bunch pick out a bunch of stuff that looks interesting yeah we're gonna look at a we're gonna watch a lot of pvs we're gonna watch a lot of pvs super super excited uh for all the new stuff in combination with like the almost the postseason blues coming up yeah i'm it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting uh goodbye to this season too because a lot of really good show or i wouldn't a lot of it is good and then a couple really good shows yeah this, as we said before, this season is just whelming. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, see you guys in the uh, wrap-up and next week for uh, uh, week 10 of Winter 2019. Yep. Away, Anchor. Take care of yourselves, everybody.